Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. It's a big show, so let's get right at it. Later in the show, we'll meet Canadian singer-songwriter Astrid Young. She's the younger sister of Neil Young, with whom she toured and recorded for many years, and an accomplished musician whose discography dates back to 1984 and boasts over 40 releases, including four solo albums and a multitude of credits as a side musician and background singer. Through the years, Astrid has played stages large and small from the Whiskey A Go-Go in Hollywood to Paradiso in Amsterdam, Brazil's Rock in Rio, and literally everywhere in between. Today we talk about the re-release of her album One Night at Giant Rock and some new songs including Lay Me Down, Borrowed Tune, which I literally cannot stop listening to. That's a little bit later on in the show. First, let's meet Bill Walechka. Fans of much music and much more music will remember Bill as the longest-serving VJ on those channels, including a long stint as the host of the channel's country music series, Outlaws and Heroes. These days, Bill is still working in broadcast television and has recently written a book about the lessons he learned from hanging out with many of the music industry's biggest stars. The book is called A Happy Has Been, Exciting Times and Lessons Learned by One of Canada's Foremost entertainment journalists. Today we talk about the book, much music, and his battles with depression. Bill Walechka, join me via Zoom. Congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. Uh, it was something that I never thought I would do. Um, and then one day, uh, early 2021, I started thinking about it. And uh, I've been asked for years, are you going to write a book? You should write a book. And mm -hmm. then um, I started just banging away one time at the keyboard and uh, by about halfway through 2022 realized, I, I think I have a book here. Yeah, it was very odd. Well, it's interesting because people will always ask you when you've interviewed a lot of famous people, people ask you the same questions. Uh, you know, what was Madonna like? Uh, what was, you know, what was it like being on a private jet with Ozzy? You know, whatever it might be, right? They they have those uh, questions and the stories can be kind of fun. But what I like what you've done here is you've taken lessons away from it because ultimately most of these uh, celebrity interactions don't really add up to a whole lot. You know, except maybe, you know, good, some 10 good minutes of videotape yeah. or what, and a bunch of sound bites. But yeah. if you can learn something from them, I think that's a really interesting way to approach it. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. And um, yeah, and uh, it's being odd being interviewed by another journalist because uh, <laughs> I know I'm going to be asked questions that uh, I probably haven't been asked before, mm. but you're absolutely correct. Uh, yeah. You walk away thinking, Oh, that was a great interview. There's four or five really good sound bites I'm going to use. Yep. And if it's for an hour special, of course, you know, hopefully a lot more than four or five sound bites. <laughs> but I realized a long time ago, just this whole celebrity worship thing um, and uh, who we put on pedestals is uh needs some rethinking in some cases in, in what way not that music is frivolous yeah uh entertainment has its place man i know music sure has saved my life um some movies have saved your life i know mm -hmm. yeah, yeah and you need entertainment you need a, a a companion a friend in some cases music has been that for me um so i'm not denying putting people up on pedestals who are entertainers. No, of course, they have their place. But looking back, 
where our culture has gone lately, maybe the past 10, 15 years with reality shows, these are the people we're putting up on pedestals. And I realized a long time ago, and I've been fortunate enough to realize this, I think, and that is we should be putting each other up on pedestals mm. and elevating one another. Um, someone at work looks like they can use a hug. My yeah, God, yeah. do do something, help them. Uh, you know, ask permission for a hug first, of course. <laughs> but, um, it's kind of amazing, though, when you're in the middle of it all, there's kind of a whirlwind. And I imagine that uh, much music, you joined them in 1992. I imagine that being part of that then, it was just a, a, like being at the eye of a hurricane. There's so much going on that you really don't have that much chance to reflect Right. You're just going all the time. And, you know, the 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 shows were so popular. People were uh, watching that channel in huge numbers and they wanted the celebrity stuff and you were able to give it to them. Absolutely. And don't forget, everyone that I worked with, uh, me included, were a fan of these bands, too. Mm -hmm. So we're enjoying it. It wasn't necessarily a job. Yeah, it was a job, but it was the greatest freaking job in the world <laughs> when you think about it. And um you know, all these posters that I had up in my bedroom and pictures in my locker in high school and patches and buttons on my jean jackets. Yeah. These are the people that I, I had a chance and, and to interview every single one of them and then some. And of course, a lot of new artists that I got turned on, turned on to. Um, and so, yeah, when you would and throw in some traveling. Yeah. And you've you've done the junkets and, yeah. uh, and you know, it's like, oh, my God, I'm in. Switzerland interviewing Shania Twain. Um, okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and it's not until you remove yourself from that situation or you can look back and you think, yeah, it was cool. My God. Well, you don't I really notice it at the time because you're in the thick of it. You're listening to Bill Waleczka on The Richard Krause Show. His book, A Happy Has Been, Exciting Times and Lessons Learned by one of Canada's foremost entertainment journalists, is available through Friesen Press and also now at all Amazon platforms and most online retailers. Well, I sometimes think back to when I was on the road all the time and, you know, going back and forth between Los Angeles, New York, uh, going to London frequently just to do interviews. I think, and I was talking about this to my wife the other day, I wish I'd enjoyed it more. Hmm. And here's what I say about that is it, it was such a whirlwind for, and it lasted for 15 or 20 years until I finally decided I don't want to be on the road all the time. Uh, but it was such a whirlwind that I was always constantly uh, on something with wheels in a car, on a plane, on a train. I was always going somewhere and doing something that you didn't really have time to kind of be in the moment and sit back and enjoy it. It was always, okay, that's done. What's next? And I wish I'd enjoyed it more. I think if you think about it, I'm sure you could recall moments, times, places, people that made those trips stand out. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, being in New York for a day to do whatever interview and then being home and then working on an hour special and then, yeah. you know, done, done, on to the next one. Basically, my life for 17, 18, 20 years in that building. Yeah. But one of the things that I realized uh, when I moved to Kingston here um, about 12 years ago, I'm still working in TV. Uh, part mm -hmm. of the, the title has been, some people think, uh, I fell off the face of the earth. No, I've been involved in TV uh, this whole entire time. But the Whig Standard asked me to do a monthly column, uh, a column for them, about a year or two after I got here. 
And I said, well, about what? And they said, well, just about your life, talk about your travels, whatever, interviews. I thought, oh, man, no one's going to want to read this. Uh, so I turned in a few, and they loved it. And it went on for four or five years, ended oh. up getting syndicated across Canada. I just got to the point where I was sort of, okay, I'm done with these stories. But it was important to me at the time, looking back, because it kicked my arse to start writing stuff and recalling mm. stories and actually having to sit and think about that ride to Montreux from the airport or something and something happening or and then during COVID um, I just sort of stopped doing the columns and then during COVID started getting asked to do a lot of podcasts and I said yeah inevitably and then after each podcast I realized there was another story that I had realized and I had forgotten about and so that's why I started writing initially what which would become the book is just mm -hmm not wanting to forget a lot of these stories. Yeah. Yeah. You talk in the book uh, about your battles with depression. And this is something that having watched you on television, you would have no idea, but that is the insidiousness of depression. It doesn't really have a face. And so tell me a little bit about this wildlife that so many people would have envied would have wanted and yet how you were feeling while it was all happening uh weekends were sometimes bad um i always i was talking about this uh in an interview recently about this and that is i've always approached it as a job wherever i've worked whatever i've done it's a job and i'll and i'll work hard and i have a solid work ethic and that is the most important thing in my life is turning in good work and being consistent and working hard. Um, the depression, I realized it a long time ago that if I stopped taking my meds, um, that black cloud is how I describe it comes to visit. You don't notice it if you're taking your meds faithfully every day, like I do. Um, if I stop, it's there and I recognize it and um, it gets in the way of a lot of different things. And so the way I, what works for me, and my God, if anyone is listening to this and you're thinking that kind of sounds like you, yeah, that black cloud, I can't shake it. Uh, it's affecting me emotionally. It's affecting you at work, perhaps a social life. Talk to your doctor. Um, I'm not a doctor and I can't, you know, yeah. tell people what to do, but talk to your doctor. There is a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not an oncoming train. Mm -hmm. There, There is a way out. And so... For me, it's that one pill every morning when I get up and it does wonders for me. And again, I don't notice it. And if anyone is curious, what does an antidepressant do? It doesn't put you through the roof. It doesn't make you, it doesn't elevate you to a point where you feel you're not yourself. The way I tell, explain to people is most people exist here emotionally. I exist here. Mm. All antidepressants do is bring you up to an acceptable, normal whatever normal is level remove those antidepressants and i function down here yeah so, and the balance shifts and the more people hear about it uh i think the more it is accepted and i don't think there is a stigma associated associated with it as much as there was maybe five ten years ago i think there's enough campaigns around and we've heard from enough people and it's got nothing to do with how much money you make. It's got nothing to do with what you do for a living. It's got nothing to do with any of that stuff. I talk about in the book how pretty well-known people battle with depression. Let's go back to 1992 uh, and how you became uh, what eventually the longest running VJ on much music and much more music. So tell me about how it started. Did you audition? 
No, uh, it's the weirdest thing is uh, I started there in 88 as an editor, right out of college. First week I graduated, uh, the, sa the same week I graduated, I started that much as an editor. Uh, and um, I went to college for radio and television thinking I want to learn how to shoot, but I fell in love with editing. And uh, so bang, there I am at this in this major market. Um, a national TV station as an editor sitting in an edit bay. I became a big country fan when I was in college. Mm -hmm. Like to me, uh, country music was alternative. I was into alternative, but then a friend of mine introduced me to Dwight Yoakam, Randy Travis, and Steve Earle. They all put their debut records out in 86. And so I'm listening to this stuff going, well, I don't, no one I know listens to country. This is really good, actually. And to me, it was alternative because none of my friends, except this one guy, listened to country music. And then you know, I went back and did my homework and fell in love with Waylon and George Jones, and Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash, and Hank Sr. And just realized this beauty, this beauty that I've never been exposed to before, just when I thought I knew everything about music. Um, about six months into being at Much, I submitted a proposal for a country show. Mm. John Martin at the time, our director of music programming, didn't know me from from a hole in the ground, I'm sure. Um, and then one ended up going on the air a few months later. Uh, I like to think maybe uh, I'm not responsible for it, but I like to think that maybe he saw a young person who loved country thinking maybe eh, there could be a viable avenue for country music videos. We were getting them in every day, but they weren't being played. And so Outlaws and Heroes ended up going on the air, sort of helped out with that show and editing and co-producing for a while. And then Eventually, Denise Donlin became host, and she went away on mat leave. And all the while, I'm still editing. Mm -hmm. And she asked me to take care of the show while she was gone on mat leave as the host and editor. So I did that. When she came back after her mat leave, we uh, continued to co-host, and then she became the director of music programming. And so I took over full-time hosting of the country show. And then when they canceled that because CMT started in Canada, she moved me over to regular flow VJs, to regular flow VJing. I was concerned, thinking, who the hell is going to listen to me throw to Oasis videos and Green Day videos when I just interviewed Garth Brooks and Dwight right. Yoakam? No one's going to believe me. <laughs> uh, it was a very short-lived concern. Why do you think that much music captured the imagination of people in the way that it did? What made much so unique, I think, it was a vision shared by Moses Neimer and John Martin um, of. And the way Moses does anything is he doesn't want it to be standard. He doesn't want it to be mm -hmm. cookie cutter. So immediately you have people who just love music being the person to guide the viewer through these interviews, through the environment. And uh, it wasn't just, and no, MTV was regulated to certain stars, only mm -hmm. A-list people got video airplay. Much didn't care. Much was throwing on fish heads. What the hell is this <laughs> yeah, video? Yeah. You know, you were around the same age. You remember that video? Oh, yeah. By Barnes and Barnes. Fish heads, fish heads, roly-poly fish heads. Yep. Eat, eat them up young. You're listening to Bill Waletchka on The Richard Krause Show. His book, A Happy Has Been, Exciting Times and Lessons Learned by one of Canada's foremost entertainment journalists, is available through Friesen Press and now at all Amazon platforms and most online retailers. It doesn't matter if, if you liked only rock mm. there was rock if you liked hip-hop there was hip-hop uh eventually yeah country music 
ended up getting played. But I think there was something for everyone, and it was the only game in town, as far as Canada is concerned, with being exposed to new music. Mm. I remember seeing Bauhaus, Bella Lugosi's Dead, for the first time. I was in high school, and I watched much when I was in high school. Uh, Bauhaus blew me away. I was, you know, that goth kid who's never been exposed to Bauhaus before. Next day, I think I went and bought two Bauhaus records from the store. I think it was just groundbreaking in that everyone was welcome to the party. Inclusivity is a big word we're hearing in the industry. Much was doing that, being inclusive to everyone back in the 80s, man. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, with uh, gay rights, um, people of color, it didn't matter. Everyone was welcome to the party. And that's what I loved about it looking back now without even knowing it. No. Well, I always and, thought that much music more so than most other television, maybe 95% of other television represented the audience that was watching it in a way and, that very few other people did. Absolutely. Uh, well said. And what Denise Donlin did when she came, she became the director of music programming is you know, introduce this whole drive for relevance and making mm. music not just frivolous background entertainment, but it can it can raise money for charity. It can teach people things. It can get people talking. There was it had its place in more than just pop culture. I think it had its place in culture. Period, mm-hmm. and that was something that you know she instilled in all of us. And to this day, uh, some of my favorite things that Denise has taught me, I carry with me to this very day. Let's talk uh, just for some of the sort of the, the the hooky things that could be in the book. What are some or what is the one probably wildest experience that you had with a rock star? I mean, it's everybody. It's Mick Jagger, Oasis, uh, David Bowie, Led Zeppelin, Garth Brooks. You, you interviewed all those people. Is there one situation that you remember above all? Oh, Richard, there's so many. And I I refer and I talk about this in the book, uh, Perfect Circles. Again, these people that I had on my jean jackets that I got a chance to interview years later, or people that I listened to on the radio that I got a chance to interview and spend some time with and some days Mm -hmm. for a couple of days with. Um, Being on the road with Ozzy for a couple of days was really cool, man. Yeah, Uh, It was just, you know, riding in the car with him. And whenever I could sense that he, you know, was a little tired, I'd tell the camera and put the camera away, put the mic away when he was talkative. Okay. Let's, let's have some fun with Ozzy. Let's, yeah. you know, talk to him in elevators, talk to him in his hotel room, talk to him in the car, talk to him after he did an interview before he did another interview. Basically we were joined at the hip with him for three days while he was doing press. Yeah. And um, you know, and we talked about this and I go, how many times did you answer that whole, bat question if you bit the head off of a bat today he goes man i get that 10 times a day every day for his life and uh how he handles it and he's very graceful and grateful to be interviewed and he handled he handled uh every question like a professional but one of the things that i learned is just how funny he is Mm. he is very charming he's very funny and uh complained to me one time how when people uh, come up to him with a guitar to sign and how, you know, he knows it's going to go up on eBay in a couple yeah. of days. He <laughs> says, I've seen it. I've seen that guitar with my, you know, someone selling it for a thousand bucks. He goes, I don't even play guitar. Give me a microphone. That I'll sign. I can deal with that. He goes, what's next? Someone going to bring me a double bass kit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and him and Sharon, um, 
yeah she was part of that yeah. journey too and uh yeah just a, a beautiful human being well, and lately and, and as i get older what really makes me sad and i talk about this in the book is the passing of mm. many people that we considered legends and icons and i know it's you know i've had very sad days uh when gore downey died i I cried like a lot of other Canadians. I think if Elvis Costello ever passed away, you would shed a tear because of how much he meant to you. Bill, what a pleasure to speak to you. Nice to uh, nice to hear from you. Uh, Richard, I've been a big fan all these years. I love what you do. And uh, yeah, one of the best in the business, that is for sure. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. In this segment, we're going to get to know Canadian singer-songwriter Astrid Young. She's the younger sister of Neil Young. She's toured with him. She recorded with him for many, many years. But she also has a discography that dates back to 1984. There's over 40 releases on it, including four solo albums and a multitude of credits as a side musician and background singer. Through the years, Astrid has played stages all over the world, from the Whiskey-A-Go-Go in Hollywood to Paradiso in Amsterdam, Brazil's Rock in Rio, and everywhere in between. Today we'll talk about the re-release of her classic album, One Night at Giant Rock, and some new songs, including this one, Lay Me Down, Borrowed Tune. Won't lay me down, lay me down, just like an empty dress, just like an empty dress, this lonely song, September moon. You're re-releasing this album and you're adding five or six new songs to it uh tell me why you wanted seven to new songs seven new songs well tell me why you wanted to revisit uh this album particularly okay well victor di lorenzo and i um when we made the record in 2014 um the intention was always to make a vinyl version of it and then uh, when we went to do that we realized that uh, the record was about maybe three, four minutes too long for a single vinyl. And so we had a couple of choices at that point. It's just like either edit it, which I really didn't want to do. I'm really happy with the sequence and and everything. And uh, so the other option was to record new songs. So we had always intended to do that. And there was a few songs that didn't make it onto the record the first time around. So um, unfortunately, it just took us a little while to get around to it. And but everything happens in its own time and for a reason. And uh, in the in the meantime, I became uh, acquainted with Eddie and uh, and it's funny, I think it was uh, January, I ran into him at the grocery store <laughs> in Picton, Ontario. We were having a little chat and uh, and I was about to walk out the door and I turned around and I went, hey, Eddie, I'm thinking about doing a vinyl version of, of, of my last record and recording a few new tunes. Do you do you want to do this with me? And And he said, yes. And so that's kind of when this journey started. And uh, we actually just finished tracking the uh, the new song. So Lay Me Down was the first one. And, and um, uh, interesting story about that, because we were talking about what songs we were going to do. And I tossed a few few songs in the ring. And I said, well, I have this old song. And the piano track's really good. And it's a really good song. But I think we can just replace everything else on it, replace the bass drums and what whatnot. And and I was even, you know, going so far as to say we should recut the vocal and and Eddie listened to it. And he just like went, the vocal's great. This is a great song. Let's just do this. And he just dove right into it. 
and started editing. And then I, I think like within a month, we had a finished track, uh, um, you know, uh, sitting around on a Friday night. And he said, you know, we need a string arranger. And I said, well, I, I got a guy. So I hooked him up with my guy and Darcy Hepner and uh, who actually plays sax on on one at giant rock on uh, on one of the songs on try this and he's also a string arranger and so darcy wrote this beautiful arrangement but the uh the uh, uh the catch was that he was going on vacation so we had to do it on a certain day it was the only day that he could do it and he could get all the players that he wanted so in the meantime we had to recut the bass and drums and it just happened like it, this whirlwind of fast 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 and and then the next thing I knew, it was like, it was done. And there it is. And, you know, so. <laughs> well, it's a gorgeous song. And you've got Eddie Kramer sitting right behind you here. I'll ask you a quick question, Eddie. What was it about the vocal track that made you go, well, we we have to revisit this song? <laughs> total magic. And total magic, because when I heard the track, I said, this vocal is amazing. It communicated so much vibe and emotion. And I said, we have to save this. And we started to build up the tracks from that point when I just, the, the vocal was the thing that sold me completely because that's the message right there in the bottle, you know? <laughs> and um, all the, the bass, the drums, guitars, everything replaced. And then we went to a studio in Toronto called Revolution and we cut strings. And then we mixed it, and hopefully the rest is going to be history. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a gorgeous song. It's an absolutely beautiful song. You're listening to Astrid Young on The Richard Krause Show. Find her new single, Lay Me Down, Borrow Tune, wherever you buy fine music. Astrid, reading through your list of, of uh, influences, uh, you mentioned David Bowie. And I hear a little bit of life on Mars in this song. Um, I'm not sure if that's deliberate or not, but it just, it, it, it put me in that mind. Well, it's not deliberate, certainly, but I, I grew up listening to Bowie and, and I have to say it, it's interesting that you bring that song up because for a long time during my, uh, my teenage years, I went through a pretty, pretty rough time there for a few years. And I considered, I thought that I was the girl with the mousy hair. <laughs> I was that girl. Because I, you know, my mother and father were always fighting and I would sneak out of the house and I would go to the movie theater and I would sit through multiple showings of of films. And, and so that song really spoke to me. So it's interesting that you bring that up. But yeah, David Bowie, definitely one of my biggest influences. Well, it's interesting when I look at your list of influences here. So there's David Bowie, Pink Floyd, Kate Bush, Black Sabbath. Uh, then there's Travinsky, there's Beethoven, a whole bunch of blues and country. So it really is a mishmash. Um, when you were growing up, you said it was an, an unhappy time for a few years, though. But were you, was the house filled with music? Were you listening to what your parents were listening to? What, what, where did it all come from? Well, my, my family is very musical, but not my immediate family. Um, my father actually was a writer and yeah. he became a writer because, uh, and he will freely admit that he's the only one in the family that couldn't carry a tune. So he had to figure out something <laughs> else to do. So he saved up his, uh, his, he was working at a tobacco factory and he saved up his money to buy a typewriter. And his dream was to be a copy boy at the Winnipeg free press, you know? So, um, but his mom, all my cousins, my uncle, my aunt, 
they were all musical. They all sang, they all played instruments. My uncle Bob was, was famous for, I mean, he could play, you put him in a room with any instrument and he'd figure out how to play it and get everybody singing along. <laughs> he was great. So, and I, I can probably count on one hand, the number of uh, records that my parents had in their record collection. So it's, <laughs> it's, uh, they were very, um, uh, encouraging and supportive of me in my musical endeavors. And I, play several instruments. I mean, I, I started going to the conservatory when I was, uh, you know, maybe three years old or something like that. I could read music before I could read words, actually. Um, and uh, played piano and flute, eventually played oboe, which was my thing, oboe and English horn for quite some time in, in orchestras. And then I got into rock and roll and, uh, you know, in my in my teenage years. Um, but Neil, um, obviously, was a big influence on me, too. And, and I think from the standpoint of, um, well, two things. I remember when I was about six or seven years old and I was having a discussion about with my mother about what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I told her I wanted to be a singer. And and uh, and she just was really adamant that I was not going to do that. You know, the, oh, no, you're going to go to school. You're going to, yeah. you know, find something that's uh, that's a little bit uh, more gainful <laughs> in terms of employment. So she she was kind of dead set against that uh, from the beginning. But my father was very supportive um of all my musical in inclinations and uh yeah so i mean i, I kind of forged my own path but uh i had some support um i you know it's funny because neil and i have different mothers and his mother was extremely supportive of him um and my mother while she was very proud of me and my accomplishments i don't really think she was a big music lover and it's not something that I realized until I was in my 30s. Actually, she was um, getting married uh, to uh, the uh, her last, she passed away in 2005. But um, so she was getting married and I was at the wedding and I realized that she, there was no music, right? And I was just mortified. I went, mom, you should have told me I would have made a playlist. I would have brought my guitar. I would have done something. And she looked me straight in the eye and she said, it doesn't matter. And I just went, Oh my God, I get it now. I get it now. I get what the divide is between yeah. us, you know, that music was everything to me. It was like my heart, soul, and lived and breathed it. And she didn't, she just admitted to me that she didn't care, you know? And it's like, oh, okay. All right. I get it now. So anyway, music always finds a way, I think. Do you think that Lay Me Down and other songs like it uh, are kind of cathartic for you somehow. It feels, it sounds to me like you're getting something out <laughs> when I listen to the vocal that's on that on that song. Is that how you, is it a coping mechanism for you maybe? It, it can be sometimes. And the way that I write, and especially lyrics, it's often about a moment in time. It's like a snapshot. So, and, and that song's really no different. So I was taking a moment, an encapsulated moment, and I was expressing it in, in poetry and in music. Um, usually the music comes first for me. Uh, and the words are, you know, very illustrative of just a picture that I'm trying to paint, uh, much more than a story that I'm trying to tell. Um, well, I mean, it tells a story too, but it, it was definitely about somebody at the time and uh, he's still a good friend of mine. And I actually got in touch with him recently and I said, hey, that song that I wrote about you a million years ago is coming out. Just wanted to let you know. <laughs> what was his reaction? 
Uh, well, he was he was really touched by it. He goes, oh, yeah, I remember that song. That's really sweet. So I I, I mean, I sent him a copy of it and he said he's been listening to it nonstop. So I think that's that's really, really nice. Yeah. You call one night at Giant Rock your desert dream. What does that mean? <laughs> well, I spent a lot of time in the uh, in the deserts, uh, the southwest and southern California, um, in the Mojave Desert out near um out near Joshua Tree, I used to keep a couple of horses out there, and uh, I, I became kind of a, a bit of a desert desert rat, desert nerd. I don't know what you talk, what you call it, but you know, I, I there's something about the desert. It's um, you know, a lot of people look at it and say there's no life out there, but all you have to do is look a little harder, and honestly, there's so much life. There's so much animal life and plant life. I used to get up really early and ride my horse out into box canyons at, you know, five or six in the morning. And that's when there's still a little bit of dew on the cactuses and all the flowers come out and the colors are so vibrant. It's just so incredible. And, and I think that it's, I think what really speaks to me about the desert is the, um, is that you have to look close. It's not just what you see on the surface. It's what's underneath and you have mm -hmm. to peel back the layers to really understand. And it's also a vibe too. Like if you go to the desert in Southern California versus the desert in, uh, in um, uh, Arizona versus the desert in New Mexico, they all have a real different vibe to them. Uh, the, the vibe in the desert around uh, Joshua tree is very heavy that the, the air feels heavy um and there's just something about it that just like gets really deep into your soul and the people are really weird there too so that that actually adds to the <laughs> atmospheric quality of it this is uh it, it it's something that i come back to quite a bit in the 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 visual aspect of it and uh just the feeling of it and to be honest, like that part of uh, Southern California in the desert there has inspired a lot of music and a lot of music that I really love too. Um, there's a whole uh, genre of stoner rock they call desert rock, you know, Caius, Queens of the Stone Age, um, Eagles of Death Metal, stuff like that. But they all those bands come from that area. And there's a certain heaviness from, I think, the desert that is really infused into that music as well. So uh, I, I know my my music's a, a little different from that uh, at this point in, in my life, but I hope that I captured uh, some of that uh, some of that vibe as well. <laughs> You're listening to Astrid Young on The Richard Krause Show. Her new single, Lay Me Down, Borrow Tune, is available now wherever you buy fine music. Keep your eyes peeled for the re-release of her classic album, One Night at Giant Rock, later this year. And you're working with Eddie Kramer. We heard from him a little earlier. He's left the room now. So I'll ask you about what it's like working with him. Uh, legendary producer. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, dating back to Jimi Hendrix and everything forward. I mean, this is, uh, he's just walked back into the room. Uh, but tell me a little bit about working with him. Uh, it's been really incredible. Um, I, uh, how, what can I say? I mean, he is so meticulous about the sound and every detail. He hears everything and it really is all kind of in, um, in service to the song, mm. which is 
really inspiring to me because I mean, I just write the songs, you go in and you sing them, but to have somebody kind of zero in on something and say, yeah, this is really great or do it this way, you know, it's incredible. And also the way he makes my voice sound like the first time I actually heard lay me down and he called me over and he says, I want you to listen to what we're doing so far. I mean, my jaw was on my chest. I couldn't believe the vocal sound. Some of the money here is being that you make from this album is being donated to good causes. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I set up a crowdfunding website, uh, astridyoung.rocks, and uh, so people can uh, pre-purchase the album and uh, purchase experiences and house concerts and and what have you. Uh, But I'm donating a portion of the proceeds to carbon removal uh, initiatives, and they're vetted by Frontier, so they're um, uh, they are verified uh, carbon initiatives. So it's like whether planting trees or uh, reestablishing uh, seagrass in certain areas and refurbishing or, um, or like rehabbing uh, coral reefs and things like that, uh, which all contribute to, um, you know, the, I mean, the the global warming and the warming of the oceans is, is contributing to destroying a lot of these natural resources. And they are responsible for taking a lot of carbon out of the atmosphere. So we need to replenish that and we need to uh, uh, put a lot of effort into doing that. And final question, do you still have the amplifier that uh, Neil bought you in the 1970s? I heard it was your sort of first real piece of musical equipment. That's right. It was the Fender Deluxe, and I don't have it anymore, unfortunately. And it's a very sad story because I took it to a rehearsal place and I was rehearsing with this band and it. I came back to get it and the door was locked and they had disappeared. And I've never seen that amplifier again, so... Yeah, it's uh, I if it ever turns up one day or somebody claims to own my amplifier, then I'll know where it went. But yeah. uh, at this point, I really don't know. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Well, it was in a little road case, too, on wheels and stuff. But yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye open for it on eBay. <laughs> OK. <laughs> <laughs> After, thank you so much. What a pleasure to speak to you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, and congratulations on the record. And, uh, you know, what, from what I've heard, it, it sounds fantastic. So, yay. Yeah. Oh, the, the new songs are great, too. We're oh, just good. actually doing vocals today, so cleaning it up. We should have a couple more in the can this week. And wow. one of them, uh, the new songs is a duet that I did with David J. Uh, oh, cool. From uh, Love and Rockets. So yeah. we wrote a song together. It's called How the Beautiful Get Away with Murder. <laughs> and uh, it's it's really a lovely song. I think it's probably my favorite out of this batch. So you'd be wow. looking forward to that. That's, I think that's going to be our next single release probably in October. Well, I'll look forward to hearing it. And uh, and thank you very much. And thanks, and thank uh, Eddie Kramer for me for chiming in as well. <laughs> thank you so much. That was Astrid Young on The Richard Krause Show. Her new single, Lay Me Down, Borrow Tune, is available wherever you buy fine music. Keep your eyes peeled for the re-release of her classic album, One Night at Giant Rock, a little bit later this year. A big thanks to Astrid for coming by. Also, a big thanks to Bill Walechka. Find his book, A Happy Has Been, Exciting Times and Lessons Learned by One of Canada's Foremost Entertainment Journalists through Friesen Press, all Amazon platforms, and most online retailers. Of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay happy, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weird, and we'll talk again soon.